This is K-12 Tech Talk. K-12 Tech Talk. The podcast by K-12 Techs for K-12 Techs. Real conversations, real arguments, and real banter on trending K-12 technology topics and issues. Live from the somethingcool.com studios, this is the K-12 Tech Talk podcast. I am Josh, with you weekly, very tired this week. With me as always is Chris. Good evening. And Mark. Hello. Josh, you sound really tired. I am. It is It is 8 o'clock Central Time and I am ready for bed. <laughs> this um, is later than we normally record. You, it is. We, we're normally an hour earlier than this. But in case you can't tell, we are recording uh, not on Thursday night. We're recording on Tuesday night. How could they night tell that? We're all so busy. I don't know. Just in case. In in case they can hear it in my voice. They, it's Tuesday, not Thursday. It is the Tuesday but after anyway. kids came back to school for you. Yeah. Your kids came back today, right? Yesterday, too. Oh, yesterday, mm-hmm. too? We, it's, we were it's been drowning crazy, together. Man. Yeah, we were we were definitely drowning. And Mark's over here wearing a sombrero, drinking a I don't margarita. You know, is that a peach margarita, Mark? No, nah, it's just a shot of tequila, just straight, oh. straight. Mark Mark's on vacation still, summer va- vacation. Uh, <laughs> it, it's over. I'm done. It's over. I I know right. I know our school year doesn't start for a couple more weeks, but it's over for me. You say your secretaries and stuff came back, your offices yeah, came back. Uh, Admins are back. Teachers are all in PD. It's, yeah, we're in the swing of it. Your teachers are in PD already? Well, like, not all of them, but a lot of oh, them. Okay. There's a lot of PD. All the new teachers have new P- new teacher PD this week. I did decide. My, so I love July working for a school district <laughs> Um, when, like, everyone's gone. And I sure. love... When the kids are back, but those weeks prior in August, oh, they're brutal. Those are the, I don't like yeah. them at all. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So this is the this is the worst part. This is Mark. How how insulated are you? Not from that chaos, Mark. Not at all. I didn't even know how you're going to finish it, but how <laughs> insulated are you? Not. <laughs> I. Yeah, I am not. I am not. I mean, I have people chatting me, texting me, emailing me left and right about yeah. everything in the sun. So, because yeah. he doesn't be a end. teacher, so he probably still has a bunch of teacher friends. Oh yeah, trying to pull strings, trying to get. Hey, can you send somebody over here to fix my problem? I first? think I think the percentage of emails that start with "Hey, I know this isn't you, but mm. <laughs> yeah," <laughs> I had tough. one today that the subject line said. And it, and it was in caps, and it said, not a work order, but it was a work order. <laughs> <laughs> like, thank you thank you for thinking it wasn't going to be a work order. But it's literally a tech problem. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how many phone conversations I've had in the last two days that start with, I don't know if I should submit a ticket about this or not. If, if you have to ask that question, <laughs> the answer is yes. You should. Yeah. You you should submit a ticket for it. I promise. Um, yeah, it's been nuts, oh man. And and we've got multiple brand new systems. I mean, it's not a secret. We've talked about it 
we went live with campus that's going i i would say better than i ever expected um first two days in uh we're not jumping off cliffs or nothing's catching fire nobody's gotten fired um there's just you know normal beginning of the year broken equipment maintenance did a number on a bunch of cables for us and yeah it's it's been a blast we hired 20 some odd new staff members which is crazy so we're dealing with that uh yeah it's been good mm-hmm. and along with that comes chromebook handout turn in and we found a number of chromebooks that had uh been uh, defaced mm. might be the wrong word decorated bedazzled bejeweled maybe might be the right word with stickers um stickers yep. you were not alone stickers. on that How do you... we saw that on k12 sysadmin on reddit that was a big topic yeah. of conversation this week. Stickers. I like stickers. I <laughs> when when I, I stick, especially the scratch and sniff kind. Um, I had a teacher one time in high school Mark, gave out gave out bacon bacon strips stickers all the time. Like lovely, really. Like I love a good sticker, but don't put them well, on. Well, let's the Chromebook. E- let's explain let's explain why the stickers are such a big topic of conversation. It's a very very big conversation to be honest with you. Chris, where'd you put them? Where'd she put them? <laughs> yeah. All over the Chromebook. Uh, all over. And at, now, k- k- case or no case? Well, we put them in. So, I mean, for, so for us, we have a tech user agreement for our students and we say no stickers. Yeah. And for us, we yeah, lease we too. lease our Chromebooks. So they're not even ours. Like we give them back. So they're going to ding us for the little bit of stickers and residue that we're giving back uh so we had a teacher that if a kid would get a good grade she'd give a sticker and she wouldn't tell them to put on the chromebook but that's the natural place for stickers to go i had a macbook today cooler i i had a macbook at our warehouse that had batteries like the button batteries glued to the top of the of the uh laptop like glued (laughs) glued to it seriously and, yeah yeah and i don't know i don't really have an opinion on stickers until i'm the one that has to take them off and god right. i hate them <laughs> yeah or like chris's example if you're leasing them and you've got a you know the the value of that asset now is less because it's got big john's surf shop on the yeah sticker on the outside of it um Chris, how much of those is that leasing company dinging you for that? We could get dinged. I'd say between ten thirty bucks, because if they oh jeez, wow. they'll try to say, and you have banter back and forth, but they're not going to clean that. Like they're not going to clean it, so they're going to say the keyboard's yeah. faulty. Like replace the whole keyboard piece. Right. Right. So like wow. it's a real deal, Holy and that's what that hey, actually it's funny that we're talking about the sticker thing too, because part of my back to school faculty meetings. I literally at each building talked about stickers because we employ part-time summer help um, to clean Chromebooks. And this one lady's job is literally, she spends hours and hours and hours uh, cleaning our Chromebooks and taking off the stickers just so that we can have a good condition. Holy cow. So funny. That's crazy. uh, That K-12 sysadmin has that, the the subject line was, (laughs) of course it's this. Two PE teachers put stickers on their district issue Chromebooks. <laughs> of course, it's the PE teachers. 
<laughs> I was going to blame the students, not PE <laughs> teachers, but yeah. So I, I think we're a little bit different. Chris, you put your devices in soft-sided cases, yeah. right? You're yeah, we still do like cases. a soft case with a front pocket. So we have hard like clamshell cases, pick your favorite brand. Um, and what we see more than not is students putting stickers on that clamshell case, which we we buy our devices outright. We don't lease them. So it's not as big of an issue. But that that case, you know, let's say the kid keeps it their career through the middle school. Well, they're leaving the middle school in eighth grade and they've got all sorts of unicorns and, and Big John Surf Shop stickers all over it <laughs> on that case. Well, now they're going to turn that device back in to be reused. Well, that case has all these stickers on it. So, you know, we have to get a different case to roll that device back out, out into the wild. Um, yeah, it's a crazy issue. And I think no matter how much we talk about it, how much the teachers talk about it, how much building admins talk about it, it's it's falls on deaf ears for some reason. I don't I don't understand. Um, Mark, do you guys put your Mac? Your students don't have MacBooks; they have Chromebooks. Are you guys seeing the same thing? You guys use cases or? No, I mean I I think the problems. I mean, yeah, we see the problem with students, but it's honestly it's more of an adult problem that they put stickers. Really? On. Oh yeah. And one year we had uh, like every year there's a principal orientation where all the principals and their assistant principals, they all come together in one big old convention and it's huge. And I don't know who, but somebody leading it gave out those stickers that go over the Apple logo on the back with like our <laughs> yeah. district name and priorities. So it was over at that point. I like you just you just spent like I don't know maybe you spent like a couple thousand on stickers and I just lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in, <laughs> de Good in device value. It was it was the worst. It was the what worst. What can you do? Stickers are cool. What? Yeah, cute stickers, stickers are cool. They belong on your personal cooler, not on your Chromebook <laughs> or your MacBook. Um. Have Have you had any success with cleaning stickers off? Like we found that there's some of that aerosol isopropyl isopropyl alcohol that you can use that'll help get some of that stuff off easier. We, um, we use it's like I a think magic eraser like, thing. It's like a yeah, but doesn't that kind of screw up the case too? Though mm -hmm. or the the lid. I should you know? actually the lady that does it. She always like shows like she. I don't even buy it for her. She shows up with it. <laughs> She's like, I got one of those things again. I don't know what that thing. Actually, I'm going to email her right now. Well, there yes, goes Chris. because this is this is good podcast content. <laughs> um, I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna distract Chris real quick. Chris, while you're emailing your lady, why don't you tell us about Extreme Network? Extreme Network's a proud sponsor of the Kate and Tech Talk podcast. <laughs> uh, I actually got to hang out with uh, Dominic uh, Mayer with Extreme oh, this you? week. D Mayer at ExtremeNetworks.com. Yeah, so we put in all those new, uh, uh, we swapped out all of our MDFs, went over to Extreme. He came himself uh, to put in our redundant power supplies that were on back order. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I felt like I got the hookup. That's cool. I was going to say, he had to have driven right by my school and he didn't stop by. Thanks, Dom. So, email those uh, guys. Extreme so how, going how, well this week. Thanks to my good buddy, Josh. Uh, yeah, you've only... I was going to say, you've only called me twice. <laughs> I called Josh again. Uh, um, I said, hey. How do you email Dominic? I said, hey, hey, Josh, you got time for a VLAN question? 
Yeah, and I had to hang up on you twice. Once I was in the bathroom. The second time I'm, I call you back, I'm walking out of the bathroom and my, my superintendent's in my office wanting to talk. Um, yeah, that was great. But you answered me. You answered How do you... I did. You never answer me. Um, how do I email Dominic? Dmayor at extremenetworks.com. Dot com. Subject line um, sticker removal. What's that thing you use <laughs> to remove? Mark, you had prepared a good amount of content tonight. Oh my gosh, Chris. Don't, yeah, you don't need eraser to. thing? Question mark? Can I, I'm going to ask the producer to mute Chris because he is literally emailing that teacher right now. Um, so with the, uh, white house convening that took place, uh, one of the things, one of the topics that kind of, that came out of that was IG one and, uh, kind of buying into that process or buying into that standard a little bit more. And Mark has done since he's been on vacation while he was on the beaches of Mexico with his toes in the sand, he, like a true nerd, he was researching IG one. Um, Mark, tell us what you have learned while on vacation, drinking alcoholic beverages, learning about IG1. I I didn't research. First off, I'm not in Mexico, um, but I have been a fan of IG1 for a long time. Uh, when I heard that they were going to recommend uh, that CISA and MS Isaac, they're going to start to recommend IG1 for K-12. I was super excited because, uh, and I, IG2, and we're going to talk about that tonight. I've been a big fan of it and uh, and its practicality for, for K-12. So, I thought let's like a groupie. I'm a I'm a I'm a big CIS groupie. Uh, so let's let's talk about the the different types of standards, uh, and then we'll dive into the different controls, uh, the critical security controls, and then uh, how to use them. Now, this is going to be a hard conversation to have because this is more of a visual conversation. And I know that most people are just listening uh, while driving. So you can't pull up your computer. You can't pull up a browser and, and do this. So I'll do my best to explain this. This is going to be an intro to the CIS controls uh, and the implementation groups. Uh, and then we'll leave in the show notes some places where you can go explore and see these kinds of things in action. So paint pictures with your words, Mark. Okay. That's what you need to do to get these people bought in got it okay Paint beautiful pictures with your words imagine a browser <laughs> and in that browser is a website <laughs> I, i'm out i'm out of it all right so before we dive does chris realize he's muted yeah i don't know i are you serious i was cracking really good jokes yeah. No, now you've been muted the whole time because you were. I saw your mouth moving. You were typing. I had the producer mute you because we had to listen to you typing about stickers to the teacher. I said, "Okay, let me think about." Oh my! I said, "How you're the the OG of IG." Did you guys catch that one? No, that's a good one. I said, "This is story no. time with Mark." Did you guys catch that no. one? No, 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 no. All right, all right. <laughs> um right. you know when you start going hey mrs so-and-so what's that sticker you put on your laptop or what's the yeah. magic eraser that's when you got muted by did the, you hear me make the, the sin noise nope oh no nope i hit sin and i went whoosh <laughs> <laughs> okay anyway 
we lost we lost all of our greatest content mark thanks you got tr- happy, trigger happy on the on the mute button all of I, that you'd have to talk to talk to the producer all right so frameworks there are multiple cybersecurity frameworks out there you've probably heard of nist and iso and cis uh the most common one that you'll hear in our industry more in the public sector is around the nist frameworks or the cis iso is the international standards organization a little bit more unique um but i would say that the vast majority of people lean towards nist or cis however there are lots of crosswalks on the internet so if you are hearing from your cybersecurity insurance provider that you need to do iso or you need to do nist not to worry, a lot of these things, there's just so much overlap uh, that you really don't need to worry about it. The reason why I tend to gravitate towards the CIS frameworks is they're a little bit more prescriptive. It's a little bit more action-oriented, and I find that that's a little bit better suited for K-12. It's more action-oriented. It's going to tell you exactly what you need to do, all the way down to, like, you need to expire accounts on a 45-day basis, um, and then your are our dormant accounts on, on every 45 days, very, very detailed, very action oriented. And I've also found that the, the tools that they provide, the workbook that we'll go into tonight is a little bit easier to digest. Um, one of the reasons I really like the CIS frameworks is there are 153 controls or standards almost, but they're divided into three categories. So. We're going to now dive into the CIS frameworks, and then we're going to define what IG1, IG2, and IG3 is, and why people talk about IG1. So, wait are are we are we going to hit all one hundred and fifty three tonight? Like it's already eight thirty, man. Oh, I, I know you're tired. Uh, no, this is a lot, Mark. <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry. So, what we are going to talk about is there's really eighteen major controls. Okay. There's 18 major controls. All of this is publicly available, uh, and I'm gonna uh, I'll put it on my screen here for you guys to see. Uh, but essentially, if you if you Google the CIS 18 controls, it's what Josh mentioned last week. Uh, this is what you're going to find. So you're going to find CIS control one is around inventory and control of assets. In control two, inventory and control of software. Control three is around data protection. And you go on and on and on. You get into accounts, you get into audit logs, you get into malware, data recovery, uh, service provider management, vendors. So you can get it, kind of see if you look at these 18 controls, they're all things that you've heard of. Uh, and they are that's kind of where all of their, their the 153 controls are divided into these 18 uh, major essential controls. This is what Josh had said last week that New Hampshire was adopting are the 18 essential controls. So are other you, Josh, other Josh, uh, are you with me so far? We're talking about CIS yeah. frameworks and we've got 18 categories. Google this stuff now and you can see exactly what these kinds of things are. Well, when you're out of your car. Yes. When you get out of your car. Mm-hmm. Uh, next though, is that when you go into each one of these, they are divided into uh, very, very specific controls for each of these categories. So let's go uh-huh. let's go back to this uh this screen here where I'll show the the 18 Josh or Chris what's your favorite one? Well, I was I was going to make a I was going to make a comment. 
I have to say number 18 my one of my favorite words Mm-mm. um no. penetration no. number no. it's penetration testing but what T- testing is one of my favorite words this is a, a pg show so chris why don't you pick uh the the category <laughs> Let's just go here. one number one okay by the way so number we talked or crazy. maybe you said this and i was drifting away because you're it's so emailing a teacher (laughs) interesting but you can download this really nice spreadsheet that's yeah great to go through and like check check yourself check your district pretty quickly as you go through the spreadsheet exactly and what i what i like about this spreadsheet is the security function that they've you'll notice this with a lot of the cis stuff and msi sec stuff and the grants that they put out um, the security functions, I identify, respond, detect, like those are major categories in some of these grants that are out right now and the nofos that are out right now of what what module or what uh, security function is this going to help you with? So it's it's nice to see that these are coded with that. Yeah, it is really so funny Chris- and all that Mark's going to be talking about. These guys have talked about these CIS controls in this framework for a while. And I kind of blew it off. And then I went to the ISAC conference and downloaded it. And I really sat with it. And I've drank the Kool-Aid. Like, this is great stuff to dig into. It's great stuff to dig into to make yourself feel a little bit better about where you're going. And it for sure helps you identify, like, what you need to be working on. Yeah, yeah. And and this is, at the at the beginning, and we're going to go into this right now, it's going to feel like you're drinking from a fire hose. You're going to see a ton of stuff, a ton of things that you need to do. And you're like, I can't do all of this. But as we kind of get into the to the meat of it, you're going to see how this all gets broken out. And you can actually get to the point where you have a roadmap of where to start and where to go. And that roadmap is not just like, here's what's easy or here's what's cheap. It's what's here's where you need to protect. So, Chris, you picked CIS safeguard number one or category number one. It's all about inventory and control of enterprise assets. Something we've talked about. People are buying things, they're putting them on your network, they're putting them in the schools, their devices, their laptops, their network equipment. At the heart of it, do you know what is in your district? Do you know all the things, all the assets? Do you have an inventory of it? Can you track them? Can you control them? This goes into Internet of Things. It goes into network devices. It goes into mobile devices. BYOD, guest networks. BYOD. Like that, That's one of the things that I keep coming back to with this discussion of, of specifically a device inventory like this. <clears throat> if you've got a guest network or you've got a, a BYOD network, I don't understand. I think, in my mind, you would have a hard time rationalizing that you have a solid device inventory if you're allowing a guest network on on your network be that wi-fi or some other method because you real unless you have a registration process that's required before you get on you really don't know the inventory of those devices on that guest network and and to take it a step further that's probably not in this cis control probably the next one with software inventory unless your guest network has a knack on it that is enforcing a minimum standard for like Windows software updates or AV updates to where it checks to see if it if it doesn't meet these certain categories or these certain updates, you don't even get to get on the network. Yeah. Um, when I was in higher ed, we had one of those and boy, it, it caused headaches. But 
um, they they have a there's a need for them. There is a definite need for them. Yeah. So this uh, this group of controls, there's five subcategories. And I'm going to read the title of each one of them. But then the, within this framework, it gives you a lot of details around like, what does this actually mean? So 1.1 1. 1, uh, around devices is being able to identify uh, your inventory. So establishing and maintaining a detailed enterprise asset inventory. And there's a very, very long description of what this actually means. But at the heart of it, do you know, do you have a list of all the things in your enterprise, in your district? I'm not going to, I'm not going to make you answer this one. I was going to say, is this rhetorical? <laughs> Cause I'm not answering. This is, this is, I, I don't think there's a single school district that is perfect and flawless with this. No, this is a no really, way. really hard one. Uh, but it, but it, if you think about it at like your level, what are the big ticket items? That's where you want to focus on this one. One well, point. Yeah. Your expensive items, yeah. your, your switches, your servers, your, you know, what, if, if you needed to replace every switch in your environment, better scenario, if you needed to apply a firmware update on all of your switches, how do you know what switches, what firmware update to get if you don't have an inventory of your switches? Correct. Moving on to 1.2, you get into addressing unauthorized access or unauthorized assets. So back to your point, Josh, guest network, do you have the controls to get rid of a device on your guest network? 1.3 is utilizing an active discovery tool. So it's going to be something that's connected to your network. You've got a tool that's going to look daily, if not more frequently, and discover anything that gets, gets connected to your network. So these kinds of things, if you think about these, you probably have some tools within your wireless that can get you pretty close to mm -hmm. a lot of this. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you have SCCM, Software Control Center. Mm -hmm. um, that that has sort of an auto discovery type feature. Yes, uh, there are also some tools built into some of the platforms that we all have uh, within Google. Uh, there is a tab where you can see every device that has ever been logged into from a district owned account, student or staff. And then from there, you have the ability to kick that device off and not allow any more accounts on. So you do have some of these capabilities, even though it seemed pretty complicated and expensive. You have partial, if not some of these capabilities built into your tools that you have already. 1.4, getting complicated here. D uh, dynamic host configuration protocol logging to update the enterprise asset inventory. Are you using DHCP to manage that inventory? No. And then 1.5, using a passive asset discovery tool. So this is where these things get very, very complicated. But you can see these, those five categories is all about creating and managing your asset inventory. So it's good. It's good, but you're probably saying, I can't do all of that. And as you get into some of the other categories, it gets a little bit complicated. It gets very, very uh, high level. So I'm going to scroll over on this tab uh, or on this sheet here, and we'll link this in the show notes. Each of those things that I just read, those five different controls, are cataloged into IG1, IG2, or IG3. And in this category, the first two that we talked about, maintaining an inventory and addressing unauthorized, are the only two that you need for IG1, implementation group one. So, Josh or Chris, looking over all five of these, probably saw some of your eyes kind of glaze over on the, the higher level ones. But if you look at just those first two, how does that make you feel? I feel pretty I feel good, better. Coach. <laughs> I'm 
Ask a, ask a producer, put it back on mute, please. But even on the uh, first one, when you read the description, you can feel good about like, yeah, I got an inventory. But then read the description and you're going to find some, I imagine you're going to find some weak points. We're like, yeah, we could, yeah. we could tweak that. We could do better with that. Exactly. So each of these categories, we're not going to go into all of them in depth, but you can get an idea from what we just talked about here. Each of these 18 essential controls is divided into subcategories that are very, very explicit, very, very descriptive. But of those eight of those additional controls, some of them are an IG one, a few more an IG two, and then all of them are an IG three. So layers like an onion. Exactly. And this is also why IG one, which is the smaller number of groups, there's only about, I think, 50 or so uh controls in that group that's what's recommended for k12 so if you go through this entire sheet and just filter down to ig1 and i'll do that right now on this screen Ooh, you fancy. can you can get a much better idea of here are the things that i need to do within my district it's a much more manageable list and guys just for the record mark and his spreadsheet skills top notch he he's he's amazing. that was very fluid and let the record show that Mark does all of his spreadsheeting in Google Sheets. Oof. Well, I'm going to burst that bubble in a little bit, but we'll get there in a second. Okay. Hashtag sheet skills. <laughs> I do. I do love a good sheet skill. Okay. Guys, I've filtered down to IG1. Take a look at some of the things we have on here. If you want to like pick out a couple of them and 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 mention them, what are you seeing? Uh, establish an access granting process. What does that mean? What's it mean? Uh, establish and follow a process, preferably automated, which the more things you can automate, the better off you are, for granting access to enterprise assets upon new hire rights, rights grant or rule change for a new user. Mm. Uh, I, I, I keep coming back to the thought that none of this stuff is rocket science, right? Like that, it makes complete sense right. to, to establish a process. And I, I'm looking at the next two down from that. Require MFA for externally exposed applications. We're, we're going through that fight right now within Missouri with certain applications and requirements from our insurance company. Um, again, that's not rocket science like that. Now that yep. is purely common sense. MFA for remote network access, MFA for administrative access. Those are the next two. Again, not rocket science. You should be doing these no matter what. If you haven't been told to do this by an insurance company already, you probably will be in the very near future. Um, so I really, <clears throat> you know, Mark, looking at these, I, I really don't think IG one is a heavy lift for the majority of districts. Now I, I I'm going to, I guess, qualify that statement with there are smaller districts, Chris, you and I know some that probably would have a harder time accomplishing these. Um, but districts with any resource at all, or districts that have an administration that has bought into uh the kind of cyber awareness that's been going around with with district leadership recently i don't think this is a hard conversation to have um no th this seems pretty easy some of this is money 
like you're going to see it and you're going to be like, yeah, I, I don't do that and I can't do that. And then here's how much money that's, that would take me to do it. A lot of this policy procedure, documentation, implementation, like you have the tools. Are you using the tools to get this stuff done or not? Yeah. Well, here, here's a good one. Uh, row 78 Mark, or uh, I'm sorry, 70 Mark. Uh, it's, uh, detect the security function is detect. Uh, collect audit logs. So collect your audit logs, ensure that logging per enterprise audit log management process has been enabled across the network assets. Um, this can be one of the more daunting ones um, because if you are a small staff, you're not going to have an audit log person that does nothing but watch audit logs or look at uh, different tools to aggregate that information. So that to your point, Chris, <clears throat> this is where you might spend some dollars mm-hmm on a sock that watches your AD audit logs through a, through a tool or something. Um, so yeah, there are some more difficult ones to accomplish, but again, I come back to the, the majority of these are not rocket science. We'll take, yeah, yeah, yeah. Take, take 92, disable auto run and auto play for removable media. You're going to yeah. policy that bad boy, whatever, shoot. Like, make sure you're doing yeah. that. Yeah. We did that years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But there, there's someone here going back to the one you mentioned, Josh, around collecting audit logs. If you actually read the title and read the description, it just says to collect, collect the audit, audit yeah. logs. IG1 is meant to be, it's designed for what they say is small organizations, small businesses, lower risk, and school districts. As you get to IG2, you add more controls. As you get to IG3, you get to very, very robust, complicated, and secure organizations where you're do, you're obviously doing something on a real-time basis with those audit logs. Um, so here it's saying, you know, we don't necessarily expect you to browse those audit logs every second of the day, but in the event of emergency, you have them available to you. Yeah. Um, I go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say 98 scrolled back down just a little bit, Mark, uh, automated backups. No, that's 99. Sorry. Perform automated backups Uh, again. So Hopefully, we're giving you an idea of how easily it would be to to run through this list of IG one and and tick off a bunch of these boxes. Like, yeah, most districts, if if you've got if you've been able to put some attention on critical controls in the last couple of years, uh, I would say you could probably knock off over fifty percent of IG one pretty easily without without lifting much. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and I want to go back up. One of the mention, one of the items that you had mentioned too was, um, you know, requiring MFA for externally exposed applications. There are things that you can do with this, right? And the the language here is is it's technical, but it's not unreachable for a superintendent, a principal, or you know, somebody within your organization that's not an IT person to understand. What you can do is you can take this to say, first off, this is why we have to implement MFA if you don't have that already. But second yeah. off, and this is where I, I find the most value in this. If you Let's say you're, you're Office 365, you're Google, and you've implemented MFA for your staff. These kinds of controls using this language is what allows you to enforce procurement and purchasing decisions to be done, run through you. So somebody wants to buy something and there is no Google sign-in, there's no Office sign-in, it's just all manual usernames and passwords. Well, that means you can't enforce MFA. So you can use this as a kind of a sentence starter with a vendor or a, or a principal to say, 
I know you really want to buy this, but I can't hit control number X, Y, and Z because I, you know, there are certain things that aren't allowed or, or, or it can't sure. be made. So it's a good conversation starter to have as well. You could almost make that the, like a litmus test for products whenever you're doing demos, you know, a, like a rubric to score. Do you support SSO? Do you support MFA if you don't SSO with Google or, or Office 365? Yeah. And if you don't, okay, we're looking, we're, we're looking at another product. Yeah. Now here's one where we all suck (laughs) and that is training. There's a whole section on training. What I really like about this, and this is one of the reasons why I've gravitated towards the CIS controls is it says specifically what you need to train people on recognizing social Mm. engineering, uh, attacks, authentication, best practices, uh, how to recognize a potential incident and report it. If you go through these controls and then you start to go through, like if you got no before or proof point, any of those like training softwares, you're going to see that they're aligned to these standards. So some of their default entry level trainings will probably hit some or all of these. Cause these are, again, these are national standards. They're aligned with NIST. So a lot of those kind of carbon kind of copy paste training modules are probably going to hit most, if not all of these standards. Yeah. I got to, call from one that had a number in the name today. Um, Let's take a break real quick. Chris looks a little distracted. Let's make him tell us about Fortinet. Fortinet, a proud sponsor of the K-12 Tech Talk podcast. Email fortinetpodcast at fortinet.com. And my summer help emailed me back. Oh, about the stickers? A little oh. goo-gone goes a long way, she said. Not a sponsor. Goo-gone. Yeah, we need a corporate sponsor. Man, I'm going to email them right now. Mute me. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> All right. So that is, at a, at a high level, that's IG1. That's the CIS controls. Okay. Uh, there's IG1, there's IG2, and IG3. As you mentioned, Josh, it's not unreasonable for you to go through IG1 and hit some or or all of these and have, you know, some level of maturity within all those and move into IG2 as fast as you can. What I recommend doing, though, and this is not something that's good for an audio-only podcast, is the IG1 workbook, which is a uh, an Excel tool that you can download for free from the CIS website and it will take you through a risk assessment. Now, you're gonna score how you do on each of these on a scale of one to five. One being, I don't do this. Two means I do it on some things. Three means I do it on all things. Four is, then you four and five gets more advanced of like, I do it on everything and I have systems in place to enforce it, that kind of stuff. Mm. You're gonna scale, you're, you're scale yourself on each of the items. And at the end, it's gonna tell you this is your priority. You need to start here. You need to start there. These are your biggest risks. And I will say it's, while it's a very in-depth workbook, it's extremely complex in how it works because it's using common threats that hit uh, organizations and that's prioritizing your work for you. So if you go through IG1 on your own and you say, okay, here's where we're good. Here's where we're bad. In your head, you're going to start to prioritize based on what's cheapest, what's easiest, or what I can do. If you go through the workbook, and like I said, it's a very complicated one, 
you will then be prioritized. Your, your task can be prioritized based on what's causing the biggest threat to your organization. That's where it gets crazy. That's a, but <clears throat> And that's a free spreadsheet? It is a free spreadsheet. I would say there there's a really good webinar or presentation on how to do it. You really need to dedicate a couple of hours, and it's a very visual one. So it's not something we can really do on a podcast. But that IG1 workbook is a phenomenal tool to prioritize your work. Um, Chris, have you? Yeah, I did. I sat at MSI Sat Conference, learned about it, and then, you know, I'm not much of a partier. So one evening I sat in my hotel room (laughs) and went over this stupid thing. But I ended feeling really good about it. Like I said, I drank the Kool-Aid on it. Yeah. So realistically, you could look at that IG1 workbook and come out with probably a relatively, I'll say short term, that might not be the right term, uh, a short term strategic plan um, of things to address. 100%. 100%. For real, I think there was like five things that I kind of boiled it down to them that I took away is here's the top things that we need to work on immediately. Um, yeah. And I made, I mean, I made tickets for our team to start chugging at them. That's awesome. Interesting. Now, remember I mentioned, I do a lot of this stuff in Google sheets. Well, that's the, the IG one workbook. It's the only one you cannot do it in Google. You have to do it on hmm. Microsoft. It's a very complex uh, workbook that actually has a lot of formulas and lookups. So you do have to do that one in Excel. Uh, but it's very easy to do. Now, one of the things though, is I'm going to scroll down. There's one of them on here that we had talked about earlier around dormant accounts. Let me see if I can find that. Yeah. You said 45 days earlier. Yeah. I emailed Google. Uh, did you email yeah. Google? What, what did you email them? To see if they wanted to sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this was a pretty good advertisement for them. So, um, so as you do, as you go through the workbook, it's going to start to identify your high level and your low, low, lower level, um, tasks from there though, you're going to identify what your next steps are. And that is to either reduce, eliminate, or accept that risk. So here's an example of one that I think is really good for K-12. And that is, Disabling dormant accounts after a period of 45 days of inactivity. Where supported? What does that mean for K-12? Summer breaks means everybody's accounts disabled when they come back. Exactly. Mm. So I see the intent of it. I understand why you need to do that. And I would love to find a way of doing this. But summer break would be absolutely brutal for organizations because then you've got districts because you've got to reactivate everybody's account. Yeah, this is an example of one where you may just say, "I'm going to accept that risk." But, <clears throat> Mark, let me play devil's advocate here. Yeah, would it be a better stance to say, "Um, we're we're going to take action on this risk at at the end of summer school. We're going to say faculty staff accounts are disabled that we know, you know, like our standard classroom teacher accounts that we know they're not." We will not see them for 45 days. We're going to go ahead and disable those accounts anyway. And then we've got a script the 1st of August. When they start filtering back in, that'll go back in and and re-enable those accounts. Now, if you have a a person on your staff that can write those scripts easily and quickly, that's probably not a bad idea, right? 
I don't know. Chris? Man, I was just thinking about, and it's been over 10 years ago, when student accounts, we we used to do, this was, I when I came to the district I'm at now, this was the, this is what we did. And, and I, cha- I changed it. Um, but we would, every student account in AD, this is kind of like when Google, when we were first doing Chromebooks, was disabled. Um, and not until we f- saw their tech user agreement, like one of our department was literally going in and this is not automated, like yeah. manually turning on accounts and how tedious that was and how much it impacted the classroom. Uh, we more now do this thing. I mean, we just, we, we do collect tech user agreements on the kids and faculty staff every year. Uh, and, and I do turn, we give two weeks of grace. Uh, the school mm-hmm. year starts and I leave those accounts on. If they're active in SIS, they're active in uh, AD and Google. But for two weeks, we let them be on. And then if tech paperwork isn't turned in, uh, if it's identified as such and SIS, then they get turned off in two weeks. Um, that works. Yeah, so we still try, so I guess, the- to some degree. It's hard because you're like, like you guys said, you're impacting the classroom. You're impacting yeah, education. Absolutely. If you're taking yeah. a big stand on this security wise. Well, and that that is in the workbook, you are identifying what your mission is, which is, cla- you know, in a, in a K-12, it's classroom instruction. It's something around academic performance, et cetera, et cetera. You are weighing these things against your mission. Is this going to help or hurt the mission if I start disabling these accounts in the middle of September? Um, right. There you might also but- go ahead. I was I was just going to say, I think you could take that statement of disabling inactive accounts at 45 days. I think you could take that statement to 60 days where you're 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 kind of accepting the risk at 45 days, but you're still taking action on accounts that haven't been used over a period of time. So you're going to you're going to be able to grab those substitute accounts that the teach the person came in and subbed twice right. two years ago and hasn't been back right. since. And you don't really get a, a real notification of like a termination of employment because they're a, they're a, you know, they're not a real, I mean, not to say yeah. subs aren't real employees, but they're a ad hoc or whatever, whatever that term you want to use. Um, you may not get a termination notification from them. So I think doing that automated disabling is good. It's just, you're going to have to find that sweet spot that, that you're not going to impact teachers when they come back, but yet you're still capturing accounts that haven't been used. Yeah. So as you go through the workbook, you have conversations with your team, with your district, you may decide, as Josh mentioned, let's up that number to 60 days and then disable, or let's accept it as 40 days and accept it as a risk or put in some additional monitoring over the summer. Uh, There's other ways around it, but essentially this task of going through the workbook is doing just that. The other thing, though, within the workbook is we just had a long conversation about disabling dormant accounts. I bet if you were to go through this entire exercise, go through the the workbook, that's going to be the least risky item on here. It's probably going to say, don't bother considering disabling dormant uh, accounts after 45 days if you're not even training people on how to identify phishing or or malicious Mm -hmm. traffic, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the or work, you're not doing it, yeah. MFA on external applications, or, exactly, yeah. exactly. So my guess is, if you've got just those three, disabling dormant accounts, MFA, and training, the dormant accounts is not going to be listed as a priority if you finish the workbook. Um, it's still on there. It's just not where you need to focus your attention. 
Uh, so that's I'm, that's I'm to do the workbook. I, I need to do the workbook. It's a lot of fun. I only did it because I thought you had already done it. I have not done the workbook. No, no. Wow, Chris, let's. I'm talk not usually about ahead of Josh. Our newest. I feel like we should talk about yeah. this more. Um, let's let's unpacking. talk about our newest sponsor, Jupiter, and then I've got a question to pose to you guys at the end of the episode. So we talk a lot about our student information system, that kind of thing. Uh, and Jupiter reached out. Uh, I've talked to this guy, met this guy, Stuart. He's the sales guy there. Uh, miles at, at jupitered.com. Uh, basically, they are a sis. Uh, we're going to un- unpack them over the next uh, six weeks. Uh, and I'm going to put a link to their demo. Uh, I know they're using a lot of small, medium-sized school districts. Uh, so if you're looking at Infinite Campus, if you're looking at uh, Power School, if you're looking at whatever, uh, check out Jupiter. And, and they don't just do Assist. They have an LMS and they have some different features as well. Uh, they have different products, different services as well. So we're going to unpack them over the next few weeks. They were a new service, new product to me, uh, but I did sit through a, uh, a demo hanging out with Stuart to learn more. Uh, so I'm going to share a little bit of information with you guys over the next six weeks. Sounds good. So a question that came up on K12 Tech Pro that I found kind of intriguing um, and probably a conversation that quite a few tech directors in small to medium districts have uh, had to justify. There was a director that went to his superintendent and said, hey, I would like to do a cyber tabletop with leadership at our next leadership meeting. And the response, he, he was, he was, uh, received two questions in response. One was, uh, how much time is this going to take? And two, and I think probably the more, uh, the question with more of a discussion is what good will this do for the administration staff? It's, will they, you know, it's not like they're going to be responding, helping you fight this event, what are they going to learn? Um, so Mark, Chris, in those shoes, how would you justify the value of running through a tabletop exercise with all of your admin team in the room? And let's put a 45 minute minute cap on this tabletop event. What, what would you hope your admin team, your principals, leave the room with an understanding, thoughts, things they need to take action on, let her rip. What do, what do you think? I think uh, Forrest has some opinions. <laughs> I I'm still caught on the like, why would you not want to do that? I mean, I think the next time you do a fire drill, I just sit in my office and put my feet up on the desk and say, I don't understand why we're doing this fire drill thing. Yeah. Chris? Uh, hey, my dog's barking. <laughs> um, I So I did get the run one. Uh, and I think we talked about this before uh, several episodes ago. Man, my dog's bad. My apologies. We could probably edit that out. Probably not. Uh, but um, getting the principles to hear, like when the bad thing is happening, what goes down. <laughs> Like, how are they going to respond to the day when the bells aren't working? How are they going to respond to the day when the intercom system's down? Not just the techie, nerdy, geeky stuff about ransomware, about an attack or whatever, 
but right, the real life right, application right. stuff going on, that was what was good for us. So did they leave your tabletop with a better understanding of action items for them, like offline paper copies of rosters, emergency contact information? How are we going to do lunch line if the internet's down and we can't get to our student information system to do charges for lunch? Did they, did, were those conversations valuable to the administrative staff? We had one big moment where it was like the principal was looking at an assistant principal, I think it was. And he was like, yeah, we would just grab the binder. And they're referring to some binder that's supposed to exist that has like the backup copy of a lot of different important things. And they were both realizing that they don't have the binder, like who updates the binder. Uh, and that, yeah. that was good. Like, see, this is what we're talking about. Like, what would you do if the bells were down? What would you do if the intercoms uh, not working? Uh, you know, what would you refer to? How, like, how would lunch work? Like those conversations, like those tabletops, I just more gave like the, here's the scenario. Here's the bad thing that happened. And here's how it impacted the technology in the district. And then they just talked about how they would handle the day. Yeah. Interesting. Mark, have you done one? Uh, yeah, but I mean, not... it'd probably be harder for your, your admin is so big. Yeah. I mean, I can't grab like 6,000 people and like, come on guys, let's hop in a room and do a tabletop exercise. So it's a little bit different. We've, you know, our tabletops are definitely more internal, more technical. Um, convincing your administration that emergency preparedness is important. I, I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's more telling if your administration is really not interested or if they have that kind of reaction to it. Um, I get it that we're all busy. Um, but to kind of just say, I don't get the point of this yeah, it's is, a bummer. is very concerning. It's a bummer. Right. And I think I, and I live in a, a, a part of the country that, you know, we don't have tornadoes. We don't have uh, hurricanes per se, you know, in the Northeast. We don't have earthquakes. And so, you know, I kind of feel like one of the things that is weaker about New England districts is we're not really prepared for natural disasters as much as other parts of the country. But at the same time, it's not like it's not important to administration. They're they're 100% on board with planning for and being prepared for it. So I don't know. Is it a culture? I'm, I'm curious because you guys live more in tornado country. Is that a culture, emergency preparedness? It's called Tornado Alley. Um, oh, what did I say? I don't, I don't know. Country. Tornado Alley. It's not country. It's Tornado Alley. Um, <laughs> I don't know that emergency preparedness is... I mean, you have preppers, but you have preppers up in the Northeast, too. I think, I think what Three this staters. person is dealing <clears throat> with is... <laughs> more more along the lines more along the lines of um i th i think some superintendents still see it when they bring up this idea of a cyber event or a disaster event related to technology they still see it as the boy who cried wolf this isn't a big deal yeah like it's new if it happens we're we're still going to be able to have school like this isn't going to fun. This isn't going to impact our day-to-day -day function. And, and, you know, you can go back and listen to those interviews with like Scott Elder and, and LA that is absolutely completely wrong. It, it will impact every facet of this school day from transportation to your phone system to like Chris said, bells serving food, 
it will impact every facet of, of the school day. So right. I think the biggest hurdle there is getting that superintendent to understand that. And I think probably the best way to do it is just say, give me 30 minutes and let's have a conversation with the admin staff. I'll lay it out. I'll lay out what's down. You know, we've had this event. These systems are down. How are you going to know what kids are in your building and whose parents are coming to pick them up if they need to leave early? I was going to say that MSISEC template for K-12, it ran about, you could run it quickly for like 30, 45 minutes and have some really good conversation. It could go for so, a and, half and a day really, or whatever, but. Sure. So and really the, the, go ahead, Mark. I was going to say, I, I'll give you a comparison or strategy that you, that, that might work for this scenario. And I don't know where I was, but I heard a presentation about how uh, back in like the eighties and nineties fire departments were struggling getting people to prepare for home fires of, you know, changing their smoke detector batteries and fire extinguishers mm-hmm. and knowing where to evacuate. So they started going to schools and teaching all the kids about that. I, do you remember when we were in school and we were told yeah. like, yeah, go home, put a plan together with your parents. Yeah. That I was do. their strategy to get, adults to pre- be prepared for fire was to actually have their kids do it for them or push them to do it. So I would take the strategy of, you know what, superintendent, I don't, I'm, I'm actually good. I'm going to do the first one without you. Uh, if you, if you mm. can't be there, grab a group of teachers, maybe a couple principals, if you can get them to go through a drill. And then it's like the same thing. They're going to, the, the teachers are going to go back and say, we're not ready. We're not prepared, Mark. I like and that. This. Might start to inspire the superintendent. The, li- the little foxes. Yeah, the-, the little foxes destroy the garden. It's what? the little foxes. What are you talking about? It's not the big steer that comes into the garden that takes the garden down. It's the little foxes that creep in through the fence and they eat the crops. What's he talking about? The teachers. <laughs> we're gonna weaponize the teachers. Yes. <laughs> Oh, we're we're going to weaponize them with preparedness <laughs> and stickers. Yes, they're right. going to indoctrinate preparedness to our other little foxes admins. Look it up. It that's scripture. Right. That's Bible. Look that up. Little foxes. Okay. I'm going to look that up. <laughs> um all right. So we are right about an hour. Let's go ahead and wrap this up for tonight. Uh, so <laughs> oh, I forgot the sticker. Any, if the, you the, don't talk religion and don't talk politics, that was the sticker rule. Yeah. I brought that to the podcast. My bad. Um, <laughs> so if you have any questions for us, uh, you can hop on K12 tech pro in the community, post them there. If you have an idea for discussion topic, uh, we've gotten a couple of topics tonight from both the K12 sysadmin Reddit and K12 tech pro. So, uh, there is good content being discussed in both those locations. If you want to shoot us an email, K12 tech talk at gmail.com. I thought Mark, I, I, I thought Mark was going to say that the fire fires started starting like fires. Like they started committing arson. <laughs> Like I thought he was recommending like we plant a virus on a superintendent's <laughs> computer at the beginning of that. Or you have a penetration test done. Yeah. Also, also great strategy to just, yeah. You're not going to gonna pay fired? attention to me. Yeah. I'll show you. <laughs> That's weird. Superintendent's got all kinds of porno pop-ups. I don't know what happened Oh my there. God. <laughs> should we, should we end it before we go completely off the rails? Yeah. Let, let, yep. Okay. We can end it right there. But that's a great time to end it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.
The views and opinions expressed on the K-12 Tech Talk podcast are the personal opinions of Josh, Chris, and Mark, and do not represent the views or opinions of our sponsors or other organizations that we're affiliated with. The material information presented here is for general information and entertainment purposes only. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. That one went off the rails pretty fast.